Chapter Twenty Three of the Old Regime in Canada by Francis Parkman, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three, Sixteen Forty to Seventeen Sixty Three, Morals and Manners. The mission period of Canada, or the period anterior to the year sixteen sixty three, when the king took the colony in charge has a character of its own. The whole population did not exceed that of a large French village. Its extreme poverty, the constant danger that surrounded it, and above all the contagious zeal of the missionaries, saved it from many vices, and inspired it with an extraordinary religious fervor. Without doubt an ideal picture has been drawn of this early epoch trade as well as propagandism was the business of the colony and the colonists were far from being all in a state of grace yet it is certain that zeal was higher devotion more constant and popular morals more pure than at any later period of the french rule the intervention of the king wrought a change the annual shipment of emigrants made by him were in the most favorable view of a very mixed character and the portion which mother mary calls canet was but too conspicuous along with them came a regiment of soldiers fresh from the license of camps and the excitements of turkish wars accustomed to obey their officers and to obey nothing else and more ready to wear the scapulary of the virgin in campaigns against the mohawks than to square their lives by the rules of christian ethics our good king writes sister morin of montreal has sent troops to defend us from the iroquois and the soldiers and officers have ruined the lord's vineyard and planted wickedness and sin and crime in our soil of canada few indeed among the officers followed the example of one of their number paul de Puy, who in his settlement of ile aux Ois, below quebec lived it is said like a saint and on sundays and fete days exhorted his servants and habitants with such unction that their eyes filled with tears nor let us hope were there many imitators of major la Fredière, who with a company of the regiment was sent to garrison montreal where he ruled with absolute sway over settlers and soldiers alike his countenance naturally repulsive was made more so by the loss of an eye yet he was irrepressible in gallantry and women and girls fled in terror from the military polyphemus the men too feared and hated him not without reason one morning a settler named deemers was hoeing his field when he saw a sportsman gun in hand striding through his half-grown wheat steady there steady he shouted in a tone of remonstrance but the sportsman gave no heed why do you spoil a poor man's wheat cried the outraged cultivator if i knew who you were i would go and complain of you whom would you complain to demanded the sportsman who then proceeded to walk back into the middle of the wheat 
and called out to Deemers, You are a rascal, and I'll thrash you. Look at home for rascals, retorted Deemers, and keep your thrashing for your dogs. The sportsman came towards him in a rage to execute his threat. Deemers picked up his gun, which after the custom of the time he had brought to the field with him, and advancing to meet his adversary, recognized La Frediere, the commandant. On this he ran off. La Frediere sent soldiers to arrest him, threw him into prison, put him in irons, and the next day mounted him on the wooden horse, with a weight of sixty pounds tied to each foot. He repeated the torture a day or two after, and then let his victim go, saying, If I could have caught you when I was in your wheat, I would have beaten you well. The commandant next turned his quarters into a dram shop for Indians, to whom he sold brandy in large quantities, but so diluted that his customers, finding themselves partially defrauded of their right of intoxication, complained grievously. About this time the intendant Talon made one of his domiciliary visits to Montreal, and when, in his character of father of the people, he inquired if they had any complaints to make, every tongue was loud in accusation against La Frediere. Talon caused full depositions to be made out from the statements of Demers and other witnesses. Copies were deposited in the hands of the notary, and it is from these that the above story is drawn. The tyrant was removed and ordered home to France. Many other officers embarked in the profitable trade of selling brandy to Indians, and several garrison posts became centres of disorder. Others of the regiment became notorious brawlers. A lieutenant of the garrison of Montreal named Carillon, and an ensign named Morel, had for some reason conceived a violent grudge against another ensign named Lormeaux. On Pentecost Day, just after Vespers, Lormeaux was walking by the river with his wife. They had passed the common and the seminary wall, and were in front of the house of the younger Charles Le Moyne, when they saw Carillon coming towards them. He stopped before Lormeaux, looked him full in the face, and exclaimed, Coward! Coward yourself, returned Lormeaux. Take yourself off. Carillon drew his sword, and Lormeaux followed his example. They exchanged a few passes, then closed, and fell to the ground, grappled together. Lormeaux's wig fell off, and Carillon, getting the uppermost, hammered his bare head with the hilt of his sword. Lormeaux's wife, in a frenzy of terror, screamed murder. One of the neighbors, Monsieur Belletre, was at table with Charles Le Moyne and a Rochelle merchant named Baston. He ran out with his two guests, and they tried to separate the combatants, who still lay on the ground foaming like a pair of enraged bulldogs. All their efforts were useless. Very well, said Le Moyne in disgust. If you won't let go, then kill each other if you like. A former military servant of Carillon now ran up and began to brandish his sword in behalf 
of his late master carrion's comrade morel also arrived and regardless of the angry protest of le moyne stabbed repeatedly at lormeaux as he lay lormeaux had received two or three wounds in the hand and arm with which he parried the thrusts and was besides severely mauled by the sword-hilt of carrion when two sulpician priests drawn by the noise appeared on the scene one was fremont the cure the other was dolier de casson that herculean father whose past soldier life had made him at home in a fray and who cared nothing for drawn swords set himself at once to restore peace upon which whether from the strength of his arm or the mere effect of his presence the two champions released their grip on each other's throats rose sheathed their weapons and left the field montreal a frontier town at the head of the colony was the natural resort of desperadoes offering as we have seen a singular contrast between the rigour of its clerical seigneurs and the riotous license of the lawless crew which infested it dolier de casson tells the story of an outlaw who broke prison ten or twelve times and whom no walls locks or fetters could hold a few months ago he says he was caught again and put into the keeping of six or seven men each with a good gun they stacked their arms to play a game of cards which their prisoner saw fit to interrupt to play a game of his own he made a jump at the guns took them under his arm like so many feathers aimed at these fellows with one of them swearing that he would kill the first who came near him and so falling back step by step at last bade them good-bye and carried off all their guns since then he has not been caught and is roaming the woods very likely he will become chief of our banditti and make great trouble in the country when it pleases him to come back from the dutch settlements whither they say he is gone along with another rascal and a frenchwoman so depraved that she is said to have given or sold two of her children to the indians when the governor labar visited montreal he found there some two hundred reprobates gambling drinking and stealing if hard pressed by justice they had only to cross the river and place themselves beyond the seigneurial jurisdiction the military settlements of the richelieu were in a condition somewhat similar and labar complains of a prevailing spirit of disobedience and lawlessness the most orderly and thrifty part of canada appears to have been at this time the coat of beaupre belonging to the seminary of quebec here the settlers had religious instruction from their cures and industrial instruction also if they wanted it domestic spinning and weaving were practised at beaupre sooner than in any other part of the colony when it is remembered that a population which in labar's time did not exceed ten thousand and which forty years later did not much exceed twice that number was scattered along both sides of a great river for three hundred miles or more that a large part of the population was in isolated groups of two three five 
ten or twenty houses at the edge of a savage wilderness that between them there was little communication except by canoes that the settlers were disbanded soldiers or others whose lives had been equally adverse to habits of reflection or self-control that they rarely saw a priest and that a government omnipotent in name had not arms long enough to reach them we may listen without surprise to the lamentations of order-loving officials over the unruly condition of a great part of the colony one accuses the seniors whom he says being often of low extraction cannot keep their vassals in order another dwells sorrowfully on the terrible dispersion of the settlements where the inhabitants live in a savage independence but it is better that each should speak for himself and among the rest let us hear the pious denonville this monseigneur seems to me the place for rendering you an account of the disorders which prevail not only in the woods but also in the settlements they arise from the idleness of young persons and the great liberty which fathers mothers and guardians have for a long time given them or allowed them to assume of going into the forest under pretence of hunting or trading this has come to such a pass that from the moment a boy can carry a gun the father cannot restrain him and dares not offend him you can judge the mischief that follows these disorders are always greatest in the families of those who are gentilhommes or who through laziness or vanity pass themselves off as such having no resource but hunting they must spend their lives in the woods where they have no cures to trouble them and no fathers or guardians to constrain them i think monseigneur that martial law would suit their case better than any judicial sentence monsieur de la barre suppressed a certain order of knighthood which had sprung up here but he did not abolish the usages belonging to it it was thought a fine thing and a good joke to go about naked and tricked out like indians not only on carnival days but on all other days of feasting and debauchery these practices tend to encourage the disposition of our young men to live like savages frequent their company and be forever unruly and lawless like them i cannot tell you monseigneur how attractive this indian life is to all our youth it consists in doing nothing caring for nothing following every inclination and getting out of the way of all correction he goes on to say that the mission villages governed by the jesuits and sulpicians are models of good order and that drunkards are never seen there except when they come from the neighbouring french settlements but that the other indians who roam at large about the colony do prodigious mischief because the children of the seniors not only copy their way of life but also run off with their women into the woods nothing he continues can be finer or better conceived than the regulations framed for the government of this country but nothing i assure you is so ill-observed as regards both the fur trade and the general discipline of the colony one great evil 
is the infinite number of drinking shops which makes it almost impossible to remedy the disorders resulting from them all the rascals and idlers of the country are attracted into this business of tavern-keeping they never dream of tilling the soil but on the contrary they deter the other inhabitants from it and end with mining them i know seigneuries where there are but twenty houses and more than half of them dram shops at three rivers there are twenty-five houses and liquor may be had at eighteen or twenty of them ville marie montreal and quebec are on the same footing the governor next dwells on the necessity of finding occupation for children and youths a matter which he regards as of the last importance it is sad to see the ignorance of the population at a distance from the abodes of the cures who are put to the greatest trouble to remedy the evil by travelling from place to place through the parishes in their charge la barre champigny and duchesneau write in a similar vein bishop st valier in an epistolary journal which he printed of a tour through the colony made on his first arrival gives a favourable account of the disposition of the people especially as regards religion he afterwards changed his view an abstract made from his letters for the use of the king states that he represents like monsieur denonville that the canadian youth are for the most part wholly demoralized the bishop was very sorry says a correspondent of the minister at quebec to have so much exaggerated in the letter he printed at paris the morality of the people here he preached a sermon on the sins of the inhabitants and issued a pastoral mandate in which he says before we knew our flock we thought that the english and the iroquois were the only wolves we had to fear but god having opened our eyes to the disorders of the stasis and made us feel more than ever the weight of our charge we are forced to confess that our most dangerous foes are drunkenness luxury impurity and slander drunkenness was at this time the most destructive vice in the colony one writer declares that most of the canadians drink so much brandy in the morning that they are unfit for work all day another says that a canoeman when he is tired will lift a keg of brandy to his lips and drink the raw liquor from the bunghole after which having spoiled his appetite he goes to bed supperless and that what with drink and hardship he is an old man at forty nevertheless the race did not deteriorate the prevalence of early marriages and the birth of numerous offspring before the vigour of the father had been wasted ensured the strength and hardihood which characterised the canadians as denonville describes them so they long remained the canadians are tall well made and well set on their legs bien plante sur lieux jambes robust vigorous and accustomed in time of need to live on little they have intelligence and vivacity but are wayward light-minded and inclined to debauchery as the population increased 
as the rage for bush-ranging began to abate and above all as the cures multiplied a change took place for the better more churches were built the charge of each priest was reduced within reasonable bounds and a greater proportion of the inhabitants remained on their farms they were better watched controlled and taught by the church the ecclesiastical power wherever it had a hold was exercised as we have seen with an undue rigour yet it was the chief guardian of good morals and the colony grew more orderly and more temperate as the church gathered more and more of its wild and wandering flock fairly within the fold in this however its success was but relative it is true that in seventeen fifteen a well-informed writer says that the people were perfectly instructed in religion but at that time the statement was only partially true during the seventeenth century and some time after its close canada swarmed with beggars a singular feature in a new country where a good farm could be had for the asking in countries intensely roman catholic begging is not regarded as an unmixed evil being supposed to promote two cardinal virtues charity in the giver and humility in the receiver the canadian officials nevertheless tried to restrain it vagabonds of both sexes were ordered to leave quebec and nobody was allowed to beg without a certificate of poverty from the cure or the local judge these orders were not always observed bishop st valier writes that he is overwhelmed by beggars and the intendant echoes his complaint almshouses were established at montreal three rivers and quebec and when st valier founded the general hospital its chief purpose was to serve not as a hospital in the ordinary sense of the word but as a house of refuge after the plan of the general hospital of paris appeal as usual was made to the king denonville asks his aid for two destitute families and says that many others need it louis the fourteenth did not fail to respond and from time to time he sent considerable sums for the relief of the canadian poor denonville says the principal reason of the poverty of this country is the idleness and bad conduct of most of the people the greater part of the women including all the demoiselles are very lazy mules proposes as a remedy that the king should establish a general workshop in the colony and pay the workman himself during the first five or six years the persons here he says who have wished to make a figure are nearly all so overwhelmed with debt that they may be considered as in the last necessity he adds that many of the people go half naked even in winter the merchants of this country says the intendant du chesneau are all plunged in poverty except five or six at the most it is the same with the artisans except a small number because the vanity of the women and the debauchery of the men consume all their gains as for such of the labouring class as apply themselves steadily to cultivating the soil 
they not only live very well but are incomparably better off than the better sort of peasants in france all the writers lament the extravagant habits of the people and even la hontan joins hands with the priests in wishing that the supply of ribbons laces brocades jewellery and the like might be cut off by act of law mother juchereau tells us that when the english invasion was impending the bells of canada were scared for a while into modesty in order to gain the favour of heaven but as may be imagined the effect was short and father latour declares that in his time all the fashions except rouge came over regularly in the annual ships the manners of the mission period on the other hand were extremely simple the old governor lauzon lived on peas and bacon like a laborer and kept no manservant he was regarded it is true as a miser and held in slight account magdalene boucher sister of the governor of three rivers brought her husband two hundred francs in money four sheets two tablecloths six napkins of linen and hemp a mattress a blanket two dishes six spoons and six tin plates a pot and a kettle a table and two benches a kneading trough a chest with lock and key a cow and a pair of hogs but the bouchures were a family of distinction and the bride's dowry answered to her station by another marriage contract at about the same time the parents of the bride being of humble degree bind themselves to present the bridegroom with a barrel of bacon deliverable on the arrival of the ships from france some curious traits of this early day appear in the license of jean boisdon as innkeeper he is required to establish himself on the great square of quebec close to the church so that the parishioners may conveniently warm and refresh themselves between the services but he is forbidden to entertain anybody during high mass sermon catechism or vespers matters soon changed jean boisdon lost his monopoly and inns sprang up on all hands they did not want for patrons and we find some of their proprietors mentioned as among the few thriving men in canada talon tried to regulate them and among other rules ordained that no innkeeper should furnish food or drink to any hired labourer whatever or to any person reading in the place where his inn was situated an innkeeper of montreal was fined for allowing the syndic of the town to dine under his roof one gets glimpses of the pristine state of quebec through the early police regulations each inhabitant was required to make a gutter along the middle of the street before his house and also to remove refuse and throw it into the river all dogs without exception were ordered home at nine o'clock on tuesdays and fridays there was a market in the public square whither the neighbouring inhabitants male and female brought their produce for sale as they still continued to do smoking in the street was forbidden as a precaution against fire 
householders were required to provide themselves with ladders and when the fire alarm was rung all able-bodied persons were obliged to run to the scene of danger with buckets or kettles full of water this did not prevent the lower town from burning to the ground in sixteen eighty two it was soon rebuilt but a repetition of the catastrophe seemed very likely this place says denonville is in a fearful state as regards fire for the houses are crowded together out of all reason and so surrounded with piles of cordwood that it is pitiful to see add to this the stores of hay for the cows kept by many of the inhabitants for the benefit of their swarming progeny the houses were at this time low compact buildings with gables of masonry as required by law but many had wooden fronts and all had roofs covered with cedar shingles the anxious governor begs that as the town has not a sou of revenue his majesty will be pleased to make it the gift of two hundred crowns worth of leather fire-buckets six or seven years after certain citizens were authorized by the council to import from france at their own cost a pump after the dutch fashion for throwing water on houses in case of fire how a fire was managed at quebec appears from a letter of the engineer vasseur describing the burning of laval's seminary in seventeen o one vasseur was then at quebec directing the new fortifications on a monday in november all the pupils of the seminary and most of the priests went according to their weekly custom to recreate themselves at a house and garden at saint michel a short distance from town the few priests who remained went after dinner to say vespers at the church only one father petit was left in the seminary and he presently repaired to the great hall to rekindle a fire in the stove and warm the place against the return of his brethren his success surpassed his wishes a firebrand snapped out in his absence and set the pine floor in a blaze father boucher cure of point levy chanced to come in and was half choked by the smoke he cried fire the servants ran for water but the flames soon mastered them they screamed the alarm and the bells began to ring vasseur was dining with the intendant at his palace by the st charles when he heard a frightened voice crying out monsieur you are wanted you are wanted he sprang from table saw the smoke rolling in volumes from the top of the rock ran up the steep ascent reached the seminary and found an excited crowd making a prodigious outcry he shouted for carpenters four men came to him and he set them at work with such tools as they had to tear away planks and beams and prevent the fire from spreading to the adjacent parts of the building but when he went to find others to help them they ran off he set new men in their place and these too ran off the moment his back was turned a cry was raised that the building was to be blown up on which the crowd scattered for their lives vasseur now gave up the seminary for lost and thought only of cutting off the fire from the rear of the church 
which was not far distant in this he succeeded by tearing down an intervening wing or gallery the walls of the burning building were of massive stone and by seven o'clock the fire had spent itself we hear nothing of the dutch pump nor does it appear that the soldiers of the garrison made any effort to keep order under cover of the confusion property was stolen from the seminary to the amount of about two thousand livres which is remarkable considering the religious character of the building and the supposed piety of the people there were more than three hundred persons at the fire says vasseur but thirty picked men would have been worth more than the whole of them august september and october were the busy months at quebec then the ships from france discharged their lading the shops and warehouses of the lower town were filled with goods and the habitants came to town to make their purchases when the frosts began the vessels sailed away the harbour was deserted the streets were silent again and like ants or squirrels the people set at work to lay in their winter stores fathers of families packed their cellars with beets carrots potatoes and cabbages and at the end of autumn with meat fowls game fish and eels all frozen to stony hardness most of the shops closed and the long season of leisure and amusement began new year's day brought visits and mutual gifts thence till lent dinner parties were frequent sometimes familiar and sometimes ceremonious the governor's little court at the chateau was a standing example to all the aspiring spirits of quebec and forms and orders of precedence were in some houses punctiliously observed there were dinners to the military and civic dignitaries and their wives and others quite distinct to prominent citizens the wives and daughters of the burghers of quebec are said to have been superior in manners to women of the corresponding class in france they have wit says la potherie delicacy good voices and a great fondness for dancing they are discreet not much given to flirting but when they undertake to catch a lover it is not easy for him to escape the bands of hymen so much for the town in the country parishes there was the same autumnal stowing away of frozen vegetables meat fish and eels and unfortunately the same surfeit of leisure through five months of the year during the seventeenth century many of the people were so poor that women were forced to keep at home from sheer want of winter clothing nothing however could prevent their running from house to house to exchange gossip with the neighbours who all knew each other and having nothing else to do discussed each other affairs with an industry which often bred bitter quarrels at a later period a more general introduction of family weaving and spinning served at once to furnish clothing and to promote domestic peace the most important persons in a parish were the cure the seigneur and the militia captain the seigneur had his bench of honour in the church 
immediately behind it was the bench of the militia captain whose duty it was to drill the able-bodied men of the neighbourhood direct road-making and other public works and serve as deputy to the intendant whose ordinances he was required to enforce next in honour came the local judge any there was and the church wardens the existence of slavery in canada dates from the end of the seventeenth century in sixteen eighty eight the attorney-general made a visit to paris and urged upon the king the expediency of importing negroes from the west indies as a remedy for the scarcity and dearness of labour the king consented but advised caution on the ground that the rigour of the climate would make the venture a critical one a number of slaves were brought into the colony but the system never flourished the climate and other circumstances being hostile to it many of the colonists especially at detroit and other outlying posts owned slaves of a remote indian tribe the pawnees the fact is remarkable since it would be difficult to find another of the wild tribes of the continent capable of subjection to domestic servitude the pawnee slaves were captives taken in war and sold at low prices to the canadians their market value was much impaired by their propensity to run off it is curious to observe the views of the canadians taken at different times by different writers la hontan says they are vigorous enterprising and indefatigable and need nothing but education they are presumptuous and full of self-conceit regard themselves as above all the nations of the earth and unfortunately have not the veneration for their parents that they ought to have the women are generally pretty few of them are brunettes many of them are discreet and a good number are lazy they are fond to the last degree of dress and show and each tries to outdo the rest in the art of catching a husband fifty years later the intendant hocart writes the canadians are fond of distinctions and attentions plume themselves on their courage and are extremely sensitive to slights or the smallest corrections they are self-interested vindictive prone to drunkenness use a great deal of brandy and pass for not being at all truthful this portrait is true of many of them particularly the country people those of the towns are less vicious they are all attached to religion and criminals are rare they are volatile and think too well of themselves which prevents their succeeding as they might in farming and trade they have not the rude and rustic air of our french peasants if they are put on their honour and governed with justice they are tractable enough but their natural disposition is indocile the navigator bougainville in the last years of the french rule describes the canadian habitant as essentially superior to the french peasant and adds he is loud boastful mendacious obliging civil and honest indefatigable in hunting travelling and bush-raising but lazy in tilling the soil the swedish botanist k 
Calme, an excellent observer, was in Canada a few years before Bougainville, and sketches from life the following traits of Canadian manners. The language is that of the old English translation. The men here, at Montreal, are extremely civil, and take their hats off to every person indifferently whom they meet in the street. The women in general are handsome, they are well-bred and virtuous, with an innocent and becoming freedom. They dress out very fine on Sundays, and though on the other days they do not take much pains with the other parts of their dress, yet they are very fond of adorning their heads, the hair of which is always curled and powdered and ornamented with glittering bodkins and aigrettes. They are not averse to taking part in all the business of housekeeping, and I have with pleasure seen the daughters of the better sort of people, and of the governor of Montreal himself, not too finely dressed, and going into kitchens and cellars, to look that everything be done as it ought. What I have mentioned above of their dressing their heads too assiduously is the case with all the ladies throughout Canada. Their hair is always curled even when they are at home in a dirty jacket, and short, coarse petticoat that does not reach to the middle of their legs. On those days when they pay or receive visits they dress so gaily that one is almost induced to think their parents possess the greatest honours in the state. They are no less attentive to have the newest fashions, and they laugh at each other when they are not dressed to each other's fancy. One of the first questions they propose to a stranger is whether he is married, the next how he likes the ladies of the country, and whether he thinks them handsomer than those of his own country, and third, whether he will take one home with him. The behaviour of the ladies seemed to me somewhat too free at Quebec, and of a more becoming modesty at Montreal. Those of Quebec are not very industrious. The young ladies, especially those of a higher rank, get up at seven and dress till nine, drinking their coffee at the same time. When they are dressed, they place themselves near a window that opens into the street, take up some needlework and sew a stitch now and then, but turn their eyes into the street most of the time. When a young fellow comes in, whether they are acquainted with him or not, they immediately lay aside their work, sit down by him, and begin to chat, laugh, joke, and invent double entendre, and this is reckoned being very witty. In this manner they frequently pass the whole day, leaving their mothers to do the business of the house. They are likewise cheerful and content, and nobody can say that they want either wit or charms. Their fault is that they think too well of themselves. However, the daughters of people of all ranks without exception go to market, and carry home what they have bought. The girls at Montreal are very much displeased that those at Quebec get husbands sooner than they. The reason of this is that many young gentlemen who come over from France with the ships are captivated by the ladies at Quebec, and marry them, but as these gentlemen seldom go up to Montreal, 
the girls there are not often so happy as those of the former place long before calm's visit the jesuit charlevoix a traveller and a man of the world wrote thus of quebec in a letter to the duchesse de les Deguires. there is a select little society here which wants nothing to make it agreeable in the salons of the wives of the governor and of the intendant one finds circles as brilliant as in other countries these circles were formed partly of the principal inhabitants but chiefly of military officers and government officials with their families charlevoix continues everybody does his part to make the time pass pleasantly with games and parties of pleasure drives and canoe excursions in summer sleighing and skating in winter there is a great deal of hunting and shooting for many canadian gentlemen are almost destitute of any other means of living at their ease the news of the day amounts to very little indeed as the country furnishes scarcely any while that from europe comes all at once science and the fine arts have their turn and conversation does not fail the canadians breathe from their birth an air of liberty which makes them very pleasant in the intercourse of life and our language is nowhere more purely spoken one finds here no rich persons whatever and this is a great pity for the canadians like to get the credit of their money and scarcely anybody amuses himself with hoarding it they say it is very different with our neighbours the english and one who knew the two colonies only by the way of living acting and speaking of the colonists would not hesitate to judge ours the more flourishing in new england and the other british colonies there reigns an opulence by which the people seem not to know how to profit while in new france poverty is hidden under an air of ease which appears entirely natural the english colonist keeps as much and spends as little as possible the french colonist enjoys what he has got and often makes a display of what he has not got the one labours for his heirs the other leaves them to get on as they can like himself i could push the comparison further but i must close here the king's ship is about to sail and the merchant vessels are getting ready to follow in three days perhaps not one will be left in the harbour and now we too will leave canada winter draws near and the first patch of snow lies gleaming on the distant mountains of cape torment the sun has set in chill autumnal beauty and the sharp spires of fir trees on the heights of sillery stand stiff and black against the pure cold amber of the fading west the ship sails in the morning and before the old towers of rochelle rise in sight there will be time to smoke many a pipe and ponder what we have seen on the banks of the st lawrence End of chapter twenty three